Hi, my name is Ryan Avery, and I'm here talking to Ryan to show you how to go from a speaker to the speaker in your industry. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everybody. We're back with another episode, and this time, my guest. I have to say, personally, I feel like he has one of the coolest names ever, if not the coolest name, especially the first name. Welcome, Ryan Avery, to the show. Do not be deceived. He is known as the keynote speaker. Welcome to the show, fellow little king, Ryan Avery. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm glad you know the meaning of our name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I always like to start off the show getting to know you a little bit more. What is happening in your kingdom, per se? But think about a story that if you could pull it off of the shelf, let's say that you were at a farmer's market and every single piece of fruit and vegetable represents some type of story from your past, which story, fruit or vegetable are you going to pick up and put in our bag today so that we can kind of get to know you through? something that actually happened to you? It's a good analogy. So back in 2012, uh, my best friend, he quits his job to pursue his dream to be a filmmaker. And he quits his good paying job. He invests all of his life savings to this film. And a couple months later, he loses all of the money. He doesn't know where the film is going. And he's in a really bad part in his career and his life. And I take him out to lunch and he's like, Ryan, don't listen to them. Don't follow your dreams. It's crazy. It's the hardest thing ever. And he's like, <laughs> so sad. What's the hardest thing you've ever had to do, Ryan? And I could not give my best friend an answer. Uh, at that time in my life, I had done pretty normal things. I am pretty average. Uh, I skated through high school and college. Nothing really that stood out that made it so I could answer that question. And it made me feel like a crappy person. And that weekend I spent watching a bunch of YouTube videos because I was in this like YouTube vortex and like feeling bad about myself that I had never done anything hard. And there's this video of this person going for what's called the World Championship of Public Speaking. And I watched the video. I had never professionally spoke before, but I watched the video and I think to myself, all right. I remember someone saying public speaking is the hardest thing to do. I remember people saying more people were afraid of public speaking than anything else. So I said, fine, I'll win that. I'll enter that contest. I'll do everything I can to win that contest. And the short story is eight months later, I win. Um, there's 30,000 people from 116 countries that compete for the contest every year. There's eight months of competition, six rounds. You have to give two speeches in each round. And with the help of my wife, my mentors, my friends, Toastmasters, I won the world championship back in 2012. And that really changed my life in a, in a variety of ways. Well, well, you hear this? Hopefully you're picking that up. That's an applause. Congratulations. I've competed a couple times in the Toastmasters. I, I seem to win the humorous and the evaluation and all that, but yeah. the inspiration didn't get to the finals, have a couple friends that did. So that is, that's a great origination story that you basically on a, could we call it a guilt dare? <laughs> the fact that <laughs> like it was kind of a dare, but like, it's like you guilted yourself into the dare, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. And even cooler is two weeks later, he launched his film and he went on tour and it was a very successful film. And I'm 
So we kind of had this time together where we both could celebrate. And I'm very thankful for that conversation. I'm very thankful for the the wake up of like, oh, wow, all right, I'm pretty average. I've done something normal my whole life. I want to be the best at something. It's the year of the Olympics in 2012. So I'm very inspired by athletes like Gabby Douglas and Michael Phelps. And um, 2012 was a, a good year to launch a lot of growth for me. So are you still in the Toastmasters arena? Are you still involved? I'm not. They have been a phenomenal organization, and I'm very thankful for what the people have done for me within Toastmasters. My schedule doesn't allow it. I've started uh, eight different clubs, so I give back in the sense of starting a club or helping people who are competing for the, the championship. I don't have any ties to Toastmasters anymore because of my schedule and my business. Well, fair enough. You have created your own problem of lack of time to support an organization that helped you to create the lack of time that you have now. <laughs> so it's in a weird way. It's it's uh, They should be a very proud parent of the system that they have. And I, I love Toastmasters. I as well have a challenge with the scheduling, but really point back to that as just a pivotal learning platform and still have great friends from it at mm-hmm. the end of the day. If you were to sum up Toastmasters, for people who don't know what it is, but you can't describe it in the normal terms, what would it be? So here we go. This is just like a random lightning round. If Toastmasters was a cartoon character, Mm. what cartoon character would it be? Ooh, I would say, (laughs) I know this sounds crazy, but I would say Winnie the Pooh, because in my opinion... (laughs) Very supportive. Uh, You can talk to Winnie. He's going through very similar things you are. You're able to communicate. It's very simple. Everybody likes it. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I like That's great. Okay. (laughs) So now the next one is if Toastmasters was a hotel chain, what type of hotel chain would they be? Hmm. Maybe Hilton. And the reason why is they're global. And they are on this cusp of they have been around for a while, but now they have a lot more competition. And so they have to update themselves in a way that gets people to come and see the benefits of what the hotel chain has to offer. If Toastmasters was a vehicle, what type of vehicle would it be? It would be a, I would say it would be a boat. And the reason why is it can be a little rocky. It can be a little scary to get on it, but it's still solid ground. Uh, It allows you to travel all over the world and meet different people. And it's a universal transportation model that you can use on lakes, rivers, oceans, and ponds. So I would say a boat. Brilliant. Toastmasters, the boat of public speaking. (laughs) Toastmasters, the Hilton of your speaking practice. Toastmasters, the Winnie the Pooh of your professional public speaking path. I don't think I've said Winnie the Pooh in like 20 years. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. I will admit, I do use um, the Winnie the Pooh gif if I really want to communicate thinking. There's yeah. just one where he's just tapping his head thinking. Like, so I interface with Mr. Pooh every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to get too distracted by Toastmasters, but I, I really like the fact that you saw it, you just dove into it, you found success as a thread of it. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's challenging for sometimes people to really understand what it is. Now they know what it is in reference to a cartoon character, a hotel and a car. So maybe that'll inspire some people. Yeah. But it sounds like this situation really 
kind of changed the whole trajectory of what you're doing off of this guilt there. Yeah, absolutely. Were you speaking before in a capacity? Never. In no. this just, okay. So how has that been for you as far as a transition? Like just a total flip of the pancake, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the next day after I won, I woke up to 269 emails asking me to speak and coach people. And my <laughs> life really changed overnight. However, I didn't know the business side of speaking. So all those invitations, I would say most of them, they were asking me for free or they would pay my travel or it would be another Toastmasters district. It was something that was really cool. Like, hey, let's go to the Bahamas. We'll pay for you and your wife to come to the Bahamas if you speak for free. I remember the first keynote that I got, I got paid $200 and I was like, I am the wealthiest person in the world. (laughs) Because I used to work um, at Special Olympics. I was the director of marketing and communications up in the Pacific Northwest. So I worked nonprofit, $200 for me back then was a lot of money. So I would work Monday through Friday. I would go and fly out on Friday night, keynote on Saturday, come back home Sunday. And I was getting super, super burnt out because I was doing that for months. And I told Chelsea, uh, Chelsea's my wife, I told Chelsea, I said, Hey, I really think I can do this. I've been talking to a few people that say like speaking as a business, you can really do this. You have to learn a lot of different things around it. But in order to do it, I have to quit my job because I need like the time and energy and to do it. I don't have it right now with, with Special Olympics and Special Olympics is phenomenal. I'm so grateful for them. And I, I am a huge, huge advocate to Special Olympics. So she says, yeah, let's do it. So we both quit our jobs. We sell everything that we have. We move to Texas to live with my parents, which is a really fun Wait, 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 wait. So she caught the bug too. Was, was this something in her swing zone or did she? Yeah, so Chelsea coached me throughout the process. Oh, she okay. helped me win and she coached me and held me accountable and did all those things. And so we decided, yeah, to sell everything that we had, move back in with my parents in Texas. They gave us a little corner of their house. And about six months later, we had a full calendar. And then I would say it really took about four years to really get professional. And the reason why is the World Championship, although it helped me, it actually hurt me a lot too, because it's a very theatrical speech that all I had was that video and people knew that video. And when clients or when corporations saw it, that's what they saw me as. And so they were like, oh, well, we don't want that type of speaker. So I had to learn a lot about speaking. I had to learn a lot about professional speaking. I learned a lot about professional selling and what it is that we really do as keynote speakers. And then, yeah, I would say for the, so we've been doing it for seven years. Uh, I would say for the past three or four years, it's been like real full-time professional. I do 75 events per year. I cap it off at 75. And then, yeah, last year was crazy. It was 26 countries, 75 keynotes. This year will be very similar. Yeah. So it took me a little bit of time, about four years of solid, hard, hard, nonstop work to get there. So the question is, when is your friend going to make a documentary about your journey? That's the real question. You know what? I'm going to call Matt and ask him that. That's a good question. <laughs> Tell him. Be like, hey, this is a, you know, like yeah. I can see the title, like um, guilting your way to personal success through, he said something about like dramatically watching YouTube or something. <laughs> I don't know. I like Maybe that's a subtitle. I like it. I'm <laughs> definitely going to text him after this interview. <laughs> So I am curious because you have this unique perspective where you literally went from no public speaking experience to taking on one of the most challenging feats to then get to the top of the mountain to put your flag down, having a wife who's integrated into this process, 
changing your whole lifestyle, this being now what you are, where you are now, if you could go back or maybe what you're doing now, what are some of the pieces of advice that have helped you the most? And really what caught my ear is from doing a dramatic Toastmasters-esque type talk, which can be its own bubble, it's entertainment, it's very strategic, but it might not necessarily translate to a 45-minute keynote at a corporate office. What are some of the things that you've learned that you do that you would share with people to get to that professional level from a speaking tactical standpoint? Yeah, so I have this really bad speech and it goes horrible. Uh, And I'm talking to one of my friends and one of my friends tells me, Ryan, no one rides a roller coaster to get to the end. Enjoy the ride. And that has been advice that has stuck with me since the early stages of this career of mine. And anytime I have a mistake or anytime something happens to me, I always think like, I signed up for this. I am doing this. This is me. I got into the seat. I got into the roller coaster. So instead of being upset with the twists and turns and the ups and downs, I'm going to enjoy this ride. And I'm very thankful and I'm very privileged to be able to be on this ride. So that has changed my mentality a lot. And the other thing that we say in our business is there's a saying that says, fake it until you make it. And I hate that saying. Um, The saying, in my opinion, should be do it until you make it. I have faked nothing to be here and neither have you. And what happens is when young people or when people in general hear that saying, you discredit yourself of all the work that you've done. So instead of faking it till you make it, you do it until you make it. And part of doing it is learning, is making mistakes, is burning bridges, is not knowing how to do it and going out and figuring out how you have to learn it, what works best for you and versus someone else. As you know, one of the hardest parts of this industry is there's a million ways of doing it. You can ask 10 different keynote speakers how they do something, and they're all going to be different points and strategies and different advice. So having to figure that out is really, really important. So doing it until you make it is important. And then we do what's called our four M's. So you need to know your four M's as a keynote speaker. Um, You need to know your message, your method, your market, and your marketing. So those are the four things that we focus on is what's your message? People need to know what you stand for, what you talk about. What's the method that you deliver it? Are you doing keynotes? Are you doing trainings? Are you doing podcasts? Are you doing books? Are you an author? Like, What's the way that you're getting that message out there? Who is your market? Who are the people that you are selling that to? And then the marketing, where are the people? Where are your market? Where are they hanging out? So what are you doing to make sure that your message is getting out through that marketing? So those are some big things that helped me throughout the process. There's a ton of other things, but I would say those three things are key. All right. So join me. We're going to get in line to a roller coaster ride. What is your favorite roller coaster that you either can think of or that you want to go on? To this day, well, I competed in Orlando. My competition was in the United States that year. And so we, after I won, I celebrated in Universal Studios And I went on the Harry Potter ride and it was the dragon ride. And to this day, that's still my favorite roller coaster. How ironic that it's the dragon ride when all this happened in the year of the dragon. (laughs) You know, it's even crazier. And I'm really curious to know my number because I was the eighth speaker during the 88th year of the contest out of 88 contestants and 88 districts on 8.18 at 8 a.m. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. And um, the eight is also the infinity sign, yeah. right? You take one and throw it to this, like, yeah. And then we can make a, you can make a bracelet and a necklace out of it. Maybe get a tattoo. <laughs> Look at it. Like a lot of stuff is coming from this and this is all going to be documented in the movie. So let me know when you need me to reenact this moment uh, <laughs> as part of the documentary. Okay. So we're in line for the Harry Potter dragon ride yeah. and we're going to use the just sort of the loose analogy of waiting for the actual ride, being on the ride, and then after the ride as a loose way to, to tease out some of these particular tips from a speaking perspective. So we're in line. Okay. You are getting ready to go on this ride, and that is the stage. What are some of the things you do to prepare yourself while you're in line before you get up on the and into the ride, up on stage? So we always talk out loud as if the event already happened. So right before I go and talk, Chelsea says, how did it go today? And so for my keynote uh, on Saturday, I'll say, man, Saturday was so much fun. We had a blast. They asked me really good questions. They laughed at my intro. They took so many notes. They challenged me on a few things. Something went wrong with my AB, but I was able to handle it by using one of the strategies that I have. They came up to me afterwards. I added even more value after I, I talked. I had a lot of fun. They had a lot of fun. I added value and I lived my core values. It was an unbelievable time. So you say this before the talk even happens. Absolutely. Yep. And it's prompted by a question. You're not just there like talking to yourself in the mirror, but it feels a bit more natural because your wife is like, hey, how did it go? Even though you're about to go up on stage. Exactly. Yep. Now, when you talk about an AV going wrong, as though it happened, it gets up there. Do you feel kind of weird and creepy that you predicted the future? No, because uh, I would say everything <laughs> on stage has happened to me from falling off the stage because I I go I move around a lot from cell phones going off. Uh, I'm keynoting in London a couple months ago and the fire alarm went off. So we all had to ex like literally in the middle of my keynote. <laughs> so everything has happened. And so I always incorporate some type of thing in there because it helps me. I have strategies in place for when something goes wrong or diverts from something. So that way, because one of the things I teach is don't get ready, stay ready. And so that helps me stay in that moment to stay ready to say like, when it does come, or if it does come, I'm ready, I'm prepared for it to, to happen. Gotcha. Plan B, C, D, all the way to the. <laughs> all the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay. So that's a cool, very interesting sort of prep talk to kind of talk yourself into it. But instead of saying, I'm going to crush it, you're like, I did crush it. And then yeah. that giving you a little juice. So you get on and you strap into this Harry Potter. I'm not sure whether it's the strap down or the, the all these mechanisms to lock you in. How do you lock in the first minute of your talk? Because that's always interesting to me. Add value. So within the first 60 seconds, you add value. Value is something they can use. It doesn't mean that they will. All it matters now is you are valuable to them. So now, subliminally, they get to hear you for another hour knowing that you are going to add more valuable content. So I don't waste the thank you for having me or hi, my name is Ryan. Nope. I go right into a quick little either story or quick something that then significantly adds value that gets everyone to say, ooh, I'm going to remember that. And it either pulls out their note or their phone. And subliminally, within that 60 seconds, they have something from me that they can use to better their life. Okay. Do you have like maybe an example? You said quick story or anecdote, but for somebody who's actually, you know, trying to really lock in that first 30 seconds, yeah. is it one of your main points? Is there humor involved or is it just, you're just saying what is maybe the most valuable thing that I have and you just put it up front? How do you figure that out? So I believe that your message could, should be consistent. So you shouldn't have a bunch of messages. You should have one and then all the points of the who, what, when, where, how, and why should attach to that. 
But at the beginning, it can be anything. It can be a quote. It can be a research it, uh, like nugget that you found. It could be a book like the last keynote that I gave. Um, I started off by sharing a story about this author that I meet. And it's the best book I've ever read on public speaking. And I share the book title and I share the book. And then I explain a little bit of why it's so powerful. But instantly everyone goes, ooh, that's the best book on public speaking. Cool. And they write that book title down and instantly they have value from me. Gotcha. With me a variety. You know, I've heard and I also agree that people really remember the beginning and the end, not so much in the middle. So mm-hmm. I like this idea that, and if you think about it from a roller coaster ride, like the first 15 seconds into the, the cart or car, you literally, the most important thing you do is the value is, is strap up and lock down and everybody makes sure that like, okay, you're not going to fall out of this thing. Let's make sure that you are secure. So I like that. Yeah. Now you hear the tick, 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 tick as you keep going to the top. After your intro, do you follow a certain type of structure? You kind of teased at it with the one message, who, what, when, where, why, how. Yeah. Just from a general sense, do you have a certain format that you follow as you're tick, tick, tick and about to take off? So mine is like uh, Grease Lightning in Houston. It goes right away. So there's no tick, okay. tick, tick. It's not one that builds up. It's one that shoots you off. And so instantly in the first 60 seconds, you're adding value. And then one of the lessons I learned speaking is you should speak how you like to be taught. So I don't teach these like broad messages. I share a story that drives home value that teaches a strategy and then I move on. So that's how I like to learn. I like to hear an anecdote and then I like to hear a strategy and then I like to move on. I don't like to be for one hour talking about one thing that then drags on and I look down at my notes and I have one or two things written down. I'm the type who likes to write it down and I have highlighters and I like to take notes. So for me, it's a lot of value. It's a lot of take home. It's a lot of stories that then translate into here's the strategy. See how I use it in this story beforehand, things like that. Gotcha. Okay. So that's definitely, I would say, hands up with a pen and paper flying all over the place, trying to like, as the excitement goes with the ups and downs, you're like, it sounds very rapid fire and very Mm -hmm. just like, hey, wait, what, what, left, boom, right. Ah, (laughs) got it. So now we land afterwards. You're like, okay, you have that final sort of closing moment, but you're still on stage. Do you close any particular way or anything that, that really works for you? Yes. So you're right. It's called primacy and relevancy. So people remember what they see first and feel last. So I always end on what the client wants them to walk away with. So I ask, what's the one thing that you need to make this event successful? And then I'll end that ties into that feeling or that knowing. So I call it KFD. So what's the one thing you want your audience to know, feel, or do? I'll end with a KFD that ties into what my client is wanting. Brilliant. And then that'll that'll make them feel that much better about paying you to be there at the end of the day. All right. So cool. We, it's time for a Diet Coke and some popcorn or, or a hot dog or hamburger now. What do you do after the fact? You've left the stage. Do you have a, a whole team involved in a certain specific after the fact? Well, what happens after the ride for you? So I stick around. I meet people beforehand and I meet people afterwards. I'm not the person who like stays in the green room or like walks behind the curtain and then comes out on stage. So I'm very hands-on, whether it's I'm talking to 200 people or 2,000 people, I'm there. Part of my job is to have fun. And it's fun for me to meet people. And it's 
it's really fun to know that people are listening to my research and to listening to my strategies and taking it home. So I like to hear from people what they liked and what they're going to implement. So I stick around. I usually walk off stage. Typically, it will be off stage. Sometimes there are times when some clients want like some private sessions with some a few people. But typically, one of the questions I ask my pre-questionnaire is, where would you like me after I'm done talking? So um, I go off stage to the left or to the right, uh, hang out while they say a few closing remarks and then stick around to talk to audience members. Interesting. So one very particular question within this, do you have a certain question that you like to ask an audience member? And it's very, very particular to sort of the, the choice of words. And I've asked this to a number of people. You know, I typically say, what was the most memorable moment from the talk? Or maybe it would be, what's your biggest takeaway from the talk? Is there any certain phrase that you use as a primer that that really helps you get that instant feedback that you might not get otherwise? Yeah, so I call them WOW strategies, W-O-W, and they stand for what are you going to walk out with? So what wowed you today? What'd you say? Wow, Ryan, I like that. I'm going to implement that. That wowed me. So I like to know what their wow strategies are. And then it's also a good reminder for them of, okay, you said it out loud, now implement it. Well, great. That was a great ride. And Nice to get some very particular snippets on how you approach the journey on this ride. I want to transition into the concept of the speaking business. Now, it might be a bit particular for you because you are literally husband and wife journey traveling around the world, which is awesome, but not everybody has that type of teamwork and support. Are there things that you've learned as a process of working as such a team that other people could implement? even if they're solo or maybe, you know, their spouse is not in that same industry, things that maybe you found going from 263 emails that were not really revenue generating to now booking out 75 talks a year consistently, maybe an inside look to that or some tips that you'd be comfortable sharing. That'd be awesome. Yeah, there's several. Um, We hired a sales coach. So helping us sell, we've hired a business coach to help us run our business making sure that you clearly define what your roles are. So at the beginning, it was a lot of it was me and Chelsea and 100% of it was us. And then even most of it was me in the sense of speaking and all the things that I was doing. It took me a while to get an assistant. And then at first, my assistant, it was part-time and she was doing a few things here and there. And then it grew. One of the things that I see some speakers do when they start out is feel like they need a big team or they automatically need uh, an assistant right off the gate. And for me, in my experience, that wasn't it. You can do a lot of it yourself. So I would say clearly define your roles, hire a sales coach or do a sales training or go to NSA, the National Speakers Association, like do those things. I use a formula called look at what you ate. So A-T-E. And there's um, four things that you need to do. You need to curate, you need to create, you need to communicate, and you need to collaborate. And those are the four things that you need to do in order for you to be successful within your business. So you need to constantly be curating content, curating new content, curating stories, curating things. You need to create things. You need to write the books or do the podcasts or create the infographics. And then you need to communicate it. You need to share it with people. You need some channel to get that out there. And then you need to collaborate. You need to work with people who can help you get better or work with people who can advance your career or work with people who can get you in front of the right people. 
So what I find is when I look at new speakers, a lot of them are spending time in the curate spot. They're learning and they're grading new content. They're going to conferences, but very few are creating or collaborating or making sure that they're communicating it out there. So having that healthy balance of all four of those is a very important aspect of my business. For those that have an appetite, I believe that looking at what they have eaten is a nice strategy. And I'm taking your little, your acronym central over here. You need to come up with a, an acronym book to some extent at this point. I know. I, I, again, teach how you like to be taught. So I love acronyms. I love when you can simplify things. So most of my strategies, you know, are like 4321, the 25 funnel, uh, GCA, three C's, three F's, like they're all, they're all related to acronyms because that's how I remember them. I like that. Now, from those individuals who are using Toastmasters as a starting point to craft their skills, and then, you know, they get out there and want to get taken a bit more seriously and want to get paid for it. I've personally seen a lot of challenges in that gap to the first paid gig. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice that you would give to people specifically when it comes to making that transition from free to non-free. I want to know the acronym for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have an acronym. It's called APPS. But before I share APPS, um, Toastmasters is really good for you to practice speaking. NSA is really good for you to learn the business of speaking. NSA is the National Speakers Association. So whether you join an academy or whether you go to one of their events or you learn more about the business side, that is what I would recommend. So Toastmasters is great for practicing in certain situations. NSA is the business side of things. So that first jump, um, you want to know, again, the four M's work really well. And you also, how I build all of my keynotes, how I write all of my books is apps. So APS, and it has to be a very unique apps. Apps stands for audience, problem, solution. So who is your unique audience? What is their unique problem? And what is your unique solution to solving that problem? So you can't say things like, I want to work with women, like way too broad. What's a very specific audience there? For example, my latest book, the apps for that one was audience. It was baby boomer executives who hire millennial employees. That's a very specific audience. Their problem is they don't know how to retain top talent. They're hiring people. They're spending a lot of money hiring, but then they'll go and they'll leave about a month later, six months later, and it's costing the businesses a lot of money. So I have a unique solution called the four R's of how to recruit, retain, recognize, and reconsider what top talent really looks like in today's day and age. So now I know who to target. I know the language I need to use. And then I know how to sell it to them where they add value. So afterwards, they go, wow, that was really good. The next association meeting I'm in who has the same problem, I'm going to refer Ryan Avery to. Well, I knew we'd get along from the name alone, but now that you have the apps, I have something that sounds quite similar. It's called the 313. It's something I speak on around the world, and it is focused on the problem, solution, and market, which is the most simplistic but most challenging for some people to narrow down, and I use it in a way that helps people create their messaging and can be used as a filter like this, and the 313 is it it eventually ends up in three sentences, one sentence, and three words. So hmm. that apps is speaking my language there, my friend. Oh, Do you find that people are resistant or hesitant or challenged in the process of really narrowing down that audience, really narrowing down that problem, and really narrowing down that solution? Absolutely. They have this, and I did that at the beginning too, is this weird notion of like, well, I want to speak to so many different types of people. I don't want to narrow myself to that market. 
But every single business and person that you can pinpoint has one very specific audience solved the problem and created a solution for it. I mean, you can look at any type of speaker or any type of business, any type of musician. That's how they grow is that specific one. So what I recommend is listing all the audience, listing all the problems, listing all your solutions, listing them all, and then picking one. So you can't pick the wrong one. And then later you can do the others, but don't try to do them all at once. That'd be like trying to bake brownies, charred Brussels sprouts, and spaghetti in the same pot, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I like that. One of the things that I'll ask people when they're describing their market, I'll say, can you explain, you know, your market, but without saying the A word or the E word? And then they look at me and it's kind of awkward that like the eyeballs are like, I would never swear. I would never cuss. And then when it comes out that the A word is anyone and the E word is everyone, Mm -hmm. they get it. And then they still try to explain it. And more times than not, they'll actually drop the word, the A word or the E word. It's hilarious. Yeah. Because as soon as you are for everyone, you are for no one. Yeah. Like you can look at, I mean, literally any company, take Nike, for example, what did Nike start out with? A shoe. Uh, even more specific. Oh, athletes, runners, runners, exactly, and even more specific than runners. Runners who want long distance. Yeah, we were getting there. It was collegiate long distance running for men. Okay, so it was male right. collegiate shoes who wanted to run longer and who could run faster. The problem was they were running too slow. They wanted to row faster. So Phil Knight created a shoe. His solution was you know, the waffle iron and created this new shoe that had a grip that made them run faster. So then all of a sudden people started noticing this and now they started doing that with the women's team. And all of a sudden it was all colleges. And then it went from colleges to all running and long distance. And then it was the tennis shoes and it was on and on and on and on. And now Nike is, you know, a $20 billion company. So think about what's the one thing that will allow you to do everything. I like it. It is that magic tool. It is the uh, it is your pet dragon, essentially. Mm. The problem-solving dragon, the PSD. <laughs> I swear all of today I'm going to I'm like I usually make up words, but now like just for today I'm going to be I'm going to be acronym full. We'll just call that AF. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Maybe not AF too much. That means a different one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That That's different. Yeah. We got to be careful with our acronyms. Yeah. Let's just call that BCA. There you go. There you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The real question is whether or not you signal the ofs and the little words, like the true, the pure acronyms are just straight up word for word for letter. Mm. Okay, so the, the, the final thing I want to pick your brain on here is your logline, the tagline, the keynote speaker. Tell me about that. And I read somewhere about A to the, mm-hmm. and I'm curious what that is, and that might sort of be a fun spark to end the show on. Yeah, so I teach leaders how not to be a leader, rather the leader. So nobody wants a product, they want the product. People don't want to invest in an app, they want to invest in the app. So if you're creating A, if you are A, if you see yourself as A, you're not going to see the growth you want. You commit to being the at what you do, you will have whatever you want in life. So I teach the differences between A and B. And now I've been growing where I teach a variety of them. I say one of my biggest ones is don't be a lawyer, be the lawyer. Don't be a real estate agent, be the real estate agent. I teach a variety of the A to Bs now because of I focus on one, uh, one audience fix that problem, fix that solution, and then had an opportunity to do more. So that's what I teach. I like it. So don't be 
a speaker, be the speaker on whatever dare that pops into your mind that puts you onto YouTube at the end of the day to search for what that next challenge is, even if it's taking on over 30,000 people on the big stage for the world championship of speaking. And that could just change your life. Yeah. I like it, Ryan. I think I, aside from us being little kings, I think we can live in the same kingdom and we could help rule together because there's, you know, I believe in abundance and it's so fun to hear things that people are doing that resonate with me. But I think if I had to pull one thing off of the shelf that I found my favorite, aside from your apps, because that's the the stepbrother or sister to the 313, is this idea of speak like you want to be taught. I just think that's so refreshing and it really makes it so that you're not trying to keep up with the Joneses or or imitate the Joneses. You create your own Joneses and uh, think about yourself as an audience member first. Mm. And that kind of focus, I think, will definitely resonate in the long term definitely. as people afterwards end up wanting to hire you. And then you stack up 75 talks a year and then you enjoy life. <laughs> the life, not a life, the life. Yeah, exactly. That's how we design everything. I don't want to be in a relationship. I want to be in the relationship. I don't want to be a dad. I want to be the dad. Uh, the rules my life. And it's created a lot of success and wealth and friendship and connection for me. And it, it has for a lot of other people. So it's be the at what you do and your life changes forever. All right. So with that, what would not a, but what would the way be to connect with you online? Where would you point people? So I don't have social media. So the best way is ryanavery.com. And that is where you can find how I write handwritten letters to people. I wrote 14 letters before this. So I'm constantly writing letters and my email and my phone is there. So those are the three ways to get in touch with me. Now, do you call an email a letter or are you talking about pen to paper letter? Yeah, pen to paper letter. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I have a campaign called letters at ryanavery.com. So if you want a handwritten letter, all you got to do is email me at letters at ryanavery.com and you answer four questions and then I write them back to you in a handwritten letter from wherever I am. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, coming from the page to the vocal cords to the world and beyond, the next time anybody ever asks you what's the most challenging thing you've ever done, if you don't have an answer, YouTube might have one for you and you never know where you'll end up, but wherever you end up, don't be a be the in that capacity. Ryan, this has been a lot of fun. And I want a letter. I'm going to hit you up. I'm going to figure this out. And whether it's a a letter or online, or if we share the stage sometime, I'm looking forward to connecting the dots and continuing to follow and see what you got going on. A lot of good stuff. Me too, Ryan. Thanks for having me today. All right. I appreciate it. Everybody, if you like this, do not go to social media for Mr. Ryan. You can find me on social media, but go to his website, ryanavery.com. This has been a blast, Ryan. We'll talk to you soon. Keep up the great work. Thanks.